Good morning, church. Sorry, I'm trying to get to Facebook. Did you know you can watch the service online? Yeah. Did you know that you can actually share it so that people that aren't here can watch it online? Okay. Because we have um, we have people watching, and I just wanted to share it so they'll watch. I have some friends on Facebook that need Jesus. Next week is Easter. I'm looking forward to that. I hope. Yeah. One person is excited that Jesus rose from the grave. Um, in addition to it being Resurrection Sunday, I'm excited because at, at 10 a.m., our, our team is providing the continental breakfast. Yeah. Okay. So one person loves Jesus, the other loves to eat. Um, continental breakfast, I, I guess that just means like simple, easy pastries and coffee and orange juice and that kind of thing. But if, fingery stuff, my wife says. Um, but more important than the fingery stuff um, is the fact that you get to invest in relationships half an hour before church. So you get to just kind of come and meet new people, meet, uh, show up here and introduce yourself and get to know somebody new. Um, and if you're new, we have so many new people here today and, and people that have only been here for a few weeks, so they're still new, although we call them family already. Um, we promise to you to not be in a holy huddle when you arrive. The friends that have known each other for years won't be in a corner sipping their lattes, eating their kolaches, and ignore you. We're going to be waiting for you, watching for you, ready for you to show up because you are a ministry moment on Sunday at 10 a.m., so we hope that you're here. All right, you guys ready for the word? The title of my message today um, piggybacks on last week. Um, you know, it is Palm Sunday, and I, I toyed with doing a traditional Palm Sunday message and talking about what Palm Sunday is, but um, I think this fits. Because Jesus rode into Jerusalem with a town full of people praising him and celebrating him, and it took less than seven days for the population to turn their back on him. These people were like fair-weather fans you know what I mean? Like, you know these people that celebrate the Dallas Cowboys only when the Dallas Cowboys win. <laughs> and when they don't win, they pick a new team. The, the... Some do. Some do. You don't, Crystal. I know, because you are, you are a disciple of the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, that's her team. That's her team. Lord, we just pray for clarity and focus for Crystal. <laughs> Can you believe that some people do that, though? Some people do that. You don't know anybody. They're scared to tell you. But Jesus goes into Jerusalem, and everyone's shouting and celebrating his name until just a couple of days later when there's a trial, and the same people that were shouting Hosanna are the same ones shouting, crucify him.
The title of my message today is The Disciple Code. Three values and habits of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Because I hope to be one of those people that at the end of my life, I'm still shouting Hosanna, not shouting crucify. Father, in Jesus' name, I come before you today. I thank you for our time. Together, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just take this word and you, you will just divide it among us and you will speak to our hearts exactly what we need on this Palm Sunday, this beginning of Holy Week, this moment where Jesus is walking into, riding into Jerusalem and oh, how the story is going to change. If only there had been more true disciples. God, let us in this generation be found faithful of being a true disciple of you. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say, amen, amen. All right, last week we talked about the Great Commission often being hijacked, the Great Commission found in Matthew 28. And my final point of last week, if you were here with us, and if not, you can watch it online uh, at our website, or you can watch it on our app. If you've, if you've not downloaded the Church Center app for the Exchange Church, please do that. Uh, you can access all of our sermons. In fact, we're live for the first time on our own app today uh, where, we can, where we can chat. It has a chat function. There is no social giant that can kick us off today on our own app, um, which has been happening. But anyway, uh, if you're watching on Facebook and we, we die on Facebook today, jump on the app. We'll still be there. Um, but my final point last week was that the Great Commission is often hijacked when we isolate it from Scripture's description of discipleship. Do you remember that? I, I said in Matthew 28, 19, it tells us to go and disciple the nations. It doesn't say to just go and share the good news or proclaim the good news or talk about the good news. It actually says go and disciple, Right? We said make disciples was a verb and a noun, but in the original text, it's not a verb and a noun. It's not actually make disciples. It's more of an exclamation of disciple, like just do it. It's, discipleship is not a program. It's a lifestyle. And so today, I, I hope that we can unpack a little bit more of what it looks like to be a disciple because it's through discipleship, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, that transformation happens. Transformation happens when believers become disciples. Now, maybe you're wondering, well, I believe in Jesus. I've said yes, I've gotten saved, and my life is still the same. I still have all the same bad habits. I still have all the same bad friends. I still have the same crummy life. You become a believer but transformation happens when believers move from believing to being a disciple. Being a believer will get you into heaven. Being a disciple will get heaven into you. Of course, the enemy wants to keep us from being disciples of Jesus because when you go to the nations as a disciple, atmospheres shift. When I go to nations as a believer, maybe I can just share some information. 
Maybe someone latches on to that which seems logical. But when I go as a disciple, suddenly nations turn around. So, so the enemy wants to keep you from being a disciple and transforming the lives everywhere you go because transformation draws people. If my life is not being transformed, I'm not attracting people to Jesus. This is, in fact, why so many young adults, young people, college-age students are, are leaving the church because they're tired of religion, they're tired of just information, and I'm all for the Greek and Hebrew. I will geek out on Greek. It's true. My study time, sometimes it just, I have to pull myself out of the abyss. I've, I've gone through so many different trails and holes, and I don't always need to know what, what layer of rock was the seventh layer of rock in Judea. You know, I, Like, I'm all for information. I love knowledge. I run after that. By education, I'm actually a scientist, computer scientist. But that's how, that's how I'm wired. I am wired to investigate, to analyze. But listen, all the knowledge in the world won't change the world. The world needs to see lives that are transformed. And that's why people are leaving. They're not seeing a church that is alive, that's transformational. It's because we've been okay being believers that are going to heaven rather than being disciples who have heaven flowing through us. You don't have to beg a bird to eat bread. We go to Galveston a lot, and we're sitting out there, and I am, I am the whitest boy you will ever know. And I am out in the sun for three minutes, and suddenly I'm one big freckle. It's true. And so I will often, I'll have my hat, I'll have a long sleeve shirt, I'll have a canopy, I'll ask my wife to stand a little more to the left while she's, you know, basking in the sun. She loves her vitamin D. She could have vitamin D all day long. It's great. Well, for fun, and I like the beach, but sometimes, you know, I just need a little extra fun. I'll take some Cheez-Its and I'll throw them where my wife is laying down. And the seagulls will swoop in. Do you know what I mean? Or she'll be sitting next to me reading with her little glasses and her hair all prissy. And she'll be reading. And I'll throw the Cheez-Its or the bread far and the seagulls swoop in. Then I throw it a little closer. And then right by her toes and she starts kicking. Don't do that trade, you know? You ever, anyone ever done that? Okay, anyone never thought to do that, but now you're excited to go to the beach with your loved one? Oh, it's just a blast. But I never once had to say, come here, birdie, 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 I've got some bread. The birds are attracted to the bread. You throw out the bread, there are the birds. And I am convinced that if you and I were true disciples, our life would be thrown out for the world and the sinners would come. We wouldn't have to beat on a hundred doors to invite people to church, we just be who God created us to be. And people are saying, there's something different about you. Why, why, why is it that when 
you pray over the tuna fish, I get goosebumps. Do you know what I mean? Discipleship is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. In our text today, I'm going to take you to a few places out of our Bible here. I'm teaching from the student Bible, NIV. This Bible, I got this in 1991-ish. This is the Bible that I skipped school in high school, and I took it to Fleurville Park. My parents are here. That They already know all this. Um, they, I told them after I graduated, I would skip school to go to the park and read this Bible, this, this exact Bible. And I wanted to preach from it today. I, I opened it up last night and was looking at it, and I, I wondered, what does a 17-year-old Trey think when he's reading the Bible? Apparently, I really like the book of Philippians. And James, I really like James, the book of James, because it was so hardcore for a boy who needed direction um, that I underlined it, almost the whole thing. In, in Philippians, can I just let the 17-year-old Trey preach for a moment? This is what I underlined. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In that, in that moment, I know exactly what I was wondering. I was, I was doing a lot of stuff for the Lord, but wondering, wondering if I really mattered. And I wondered where it went from there and what did my life look like. I also love chapter 1, verse 27. I underline this. And I wrote in the margin, do what Jesus would do with an big exclamation point. Um, they used to have bracelets like that. What would Jesus do? Well, I think I came up with that first. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. At the age of 17, I was concerning myself with conducting my life in a way that was worthy of the gospel of Christ. I think that's... I wish I could go back to 17-year-old Trey who felt like a failure and be like, dude, you're amazing. You're thinking about things that a lot of 17-year-olds aren't thinking about. And then I liked 2 Timothy 2 a lot. And in the margin, I wrote a, I wrote a sermon, a three-point sermon, didn't even know it. But looking at it now, I'm like, man, I should preach that someday. I underlined three verses, different verses throughout a block of text. It's talking about a workman approved by God. And I wrote in the margin... Be a student, be a son, be a servant. These were the thoughts of a 17-year-old reading the Bible, skipping school in a park. Didn't think about obeying the law, <laughs> honoring the authority in my life, but I sure was running after Jesus really hard in what few ways I knew how. And then one final one, the book of James is just highlighted everywhere, and there are two words that stand out to me throughout the entire book that I just kept writing in the margin, and I must have really needed it in that season of my life, and I know that I did. My parents would probably be the loudest amen corner 
Um, but at least I knew I needed it. And it said patience and humility. I kept writing, Trey, be humble. Trey, be patient. Trey, be humble. Walk in humility. An untamed tongue equals corruption. Different, different things. Anyway, um, so that's, that's free today. I just was kind of moved by um, a man who is now 48 years old. Am I 48? 47? I don't know. 48 or 47, to see a 17-year-old kid who didn't really understand the concept of being a disciple of Jesus, but now I see the fruit of a life of since my teen years, being a disciple of Jesus. And, and so I hope to convince us today that moving from believer to disciple is worth the pain. It's, it's worth the trauma that you will go through to move from believer to disciple. In John chapter 8, verse 31, this is where our text is going to pick up today. Jesus is talking to a group of Jews in a certain part of the temple. And it, as he taught, many people believed in him. And John 8, 31 through 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. Okay, so he's now talking to people who had what? Believed. He's talking to people who had believed. And Jesus says, If you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we see here Jesus is referencing this movement from believing to being a disciple. So the first mark of a disciple that I want to talk to you about today is a disciple feeds on Scripture. If you abide in my word. It doesn't say if you read my word. Reading the word doesn't make you a disciple. Feeding on the word makes you a disciple. There is a difference between reading and feeding. Reading and feeding are different. You get full of what you feed on. And what you feed on comes out of you. And we see believers all the time that love the Lord are on their way to heaven. But there's not real evidence that they're feeding on the word of God. They might be feeding on CNN, feeding on Fox, feeding on daytime soap operas. Do those still exist? I don't even know. They might be feeding on crisis Never-ending crisis in their world, because what you feed on comes out of you. How do you know if you're feeding on the word? Look at what's coming out of you. You know, Matthew 28, the Great Commission says, go into all the world and teach them. Teach them. Our Western thinking, when we think about teaching, you might think about what's happening right now. It's where there's a person on the platform with a microphone communicating something, and you're sitting there, and you're taking notes, and you're like, oh, that's good. I'll write that down. Oh, I'll remember that. That's really good. And you think of that as, as teaching. That's what Western thinking says. Teaching equals imparting knowledge and stuff. And there is some power in knowing, right? There is some power in Knowing the word, just knowing what the Bible says. 
And, and I'll tell you, if you're not at a place of feeding on the word, at least read the word. Because the word is, is still powerful. Every believer should be reading the word. If you're not even reading the word, let's get you there. But if you're reading the word, we then need to feed on the word. Where we're facing issues, what is feeding on the word? I'm glad you asked. Oh, I'm, I'm getting a phone call, or I'm going to the doctor, or I have this decision to make, or that decision to make. Instead of taking a poll of your five closest friends, you go to Scripture. You find out what principle does God say about this situation? What, what, is, what does the Bible say how I should respond or react, or what decisions that I should make? How should I be thinking along? That's feeding on the Scripture. And teaching is, you know, communicating some truths, and, and there's power in that, right? The Bible tells us that my people perish for lack of knowledge. So there is some power in knowledge. I don't want to minimize that, but the Great Commission, that mandate that you and I are sent out to do, isn't to go and teach, not to go impart knowledge. It says to teach them to observe the things I've taught you. So the Great Commission is not me going to teach you what the Bible says. It's teach you how to obey what the Bible says. That's the word observe. That's what the Great Commission is. You and I should be going into the world teaching people to obey. Look at your neighbor and say, obey. I know, we don't like that word. I felt the life in the room just suck out of here when I said the O-B-E-Y word. Obedience. Oh, man, I can just hear the religious spirit in the room saying, that's religious. You know, it's actually a religious spirit that will keep you from obeying the word of God and convince you that it's religious to obey the word. Hebrews 5.8 says, although he was a son, talking about Jesus, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus himself learned obedience through what he suffered. Discipleship isn't about learning the Bible so that we know the Bible. Discipleship is learning the Bible so that we can learn to be obedient. That's what makes you a disciple obedience to the things that God tells you to do. Not just knowing that God said it. Do you, do you know what? It, okay, let me put it in terms that everyone's going to understand. You leave your home and you tell the person that's at home, hey, I want those dishes done when I get back. And they hear you. And they know that you said it. And you get back home four hours later and the dishes aren't done. And you said, why aren't the dishes done? And they say, I heard you. I, I thought about it. I journaled about it. I had a small group about the words that you said, do the dishes. I had a prayer time, and we just said, do the dishes. <laughs> but did you do it? If you didn't do it, then you're not acting like a son or a daughter. It's through a life of obedience to the word that you hear that you become a disciple. Believers hear. Disciples heed. 
So many of us are praying to hear God's voice. I've moved beyond that to say, God, help me to heed what I hear. Help me not just hear all the flowery stuff about this and that. Help me hear the correction, hear the rebuke, hear the encouragement, hear the love, hear the direction, but then just let me do it. Let me actually fulfill what I heard. I am convinced that we are educated far beyond our level of obedience. And we wonder why our life doesn't look like that of a disciple. Well, I, I've read the Bible cover to cover. I've done the 30-day shred on double speed twice. I've read every word in the book. I know the Ten Commandments. I can list the 12 apostles. I can, I can list the Beatitudes, and I can list the fruit of the Spirit, and I, I know all of this. That's, that's great that you know, but are you doing it? Are you heeding what you know? Are you doing the dishes? A believer learns the word. A disciple learns obedience. This isn't an all or nothing kind of thing over here, by the way. If you drop the ball and you don't obey in something, it doesn't mean you're not a disciple. It means you're still learning. You hear me? Just because you make a mistake doesn't mean you're actually not a disciple. It means that you're a work in progress like we all are. If Jesus had to learn obedience, how much more do you and I have to learn obedience? But being a disciple is putting yourself in a position to obey, not just to hear and walk away. James, my favorite book, apparently at 17, talks about a man looking in the mirror and seeing that his hair is messed up and, and saying uh, nothing about it, walking away and just pretending it's okay. I love the Bible as much as anyone. I, lo I love the detail, the intricacy. I love the prophetic fulfillment of Scripture. You, if you've been around me, you already know. I'm a prophecy connoisseur. Like, I, I love the Bible, but loving the Bible isn't enough. Reading the Bible doesn't make me a disciple. But pastor, you said to feed on, feed on scripture. I did. But reading scripture is not enough. I've got to let scripture read me. And then I've got to modify. If there's a discrepancy between what I read and what I think, I know who's wrong. I know who needs the adjustment. Loving scripture is not enough. You know who killed Jesus, right? People who loved Scripture. They had it memorized, in fact. They loved Scripture than any one of us, yet they crucified him on Calvary. Loving, loving Scripture is not enough. You have to hear the word and heed the word. Amen. Let's move to point two. A disciple follows Holy Spirit. Point one, a disciple feeds on Scripture. Point two, a disciple follows Holy Spirit. Mark 1.17, Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. John 
says, and I will pray the Father, pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. So here we see coming on the scene is Holy Spirit. A disciple doesn't just feed on Scripture. A disciple follows Holy Spirit. Jesus says he will give you another helper. If you look at that word another, I hope you're in your Bible. I hope you brought your Bible today. And if so, I would just kind of circle that word another. It's a very interesting word. In the Greek language, there, there are a few words for another. I want to talk about two of them really quick. Um, there is alos, A-L-L-O-S, for another. He's going to give us another helper, Chad. Alos, A-L-L-O-S, means another of the same kind, right? Um, there's another word for another, and it's heteros. H-E-T-E-R-O-S. Maybe heteros, you could write it. That means another kind. For example, heteros, if I'm working on Addison's car. I'm working on Addison's car and I grab a wrench and I'm under the hood and I'm trying to, you know, whatever you do with the wrench, wrench something And the wrench doesn't fit the bolt. I, I will say, um, Jordan, give me another wrench. A, a, a different kind, right? It's a wrench, so it's the same kind, but a different one. Does that make sense? Okay, and I try that wrench. That doesn't work. Jordan, give me another wrench. That's heteros, okay? But that's not what the Bible is saying when he's going to send another helper. They're using all us. That's like me going to mm, Freddy's and getting a burger and being super hungry. And I eat that burger and I say, Carrie, I'm going to go get me another one. What am I going to get? A different burger? No. I really like that burger. I'm going to get the same thing but a second time. Okay. When the Father is sending the Holy Spirit, he's not sending a different wrench He's sending the same burger a second time. In other words, when the Father gave you another helper, in giving you the Holy Spirit, he gave you Jesus. When Jesus, what Jesus was to his disciples, Holy Spirit is to you. Oftentimes we think, oh, it would just, if I could have just been there. If I could have just seen Jesus pull Lazarus from that tomb, if I could have just seen Jesus turn the water into wine, then, then I would believe. If I could just see it. But you've got exactly what the disciples had. He didn't send you a second a B-team player. He didn't send you another wrench he sent you another burger. But this time, 
Jesus gets to actually be with you wherever you go, and not just you, with your aunt and your grandparent and your cousin, not just here, but in Guatemala and Haiti and Russia and Ukraine. Like, everybody who wants access to Jesus now has it through Alas, another version of Jesus. That's, that's pretty exciting to think that <laughs> the disciples didn't have it easier because it was standing there. You actually have it easier because you were empowered personally. Jesus wasn't a one-on-one tutor for all 12 disciples. It was a one-to-twelve ratio. Now it's a one-to-one. Can I get a good amen? Jesus said, follow me. And following Jesus at that time was a lot different than following someone on Twitter today. You know, following someone on social media. It's more like, um, maybe today I could compare it to following someone in your car. Have you ever been in your car and you're going to meet someone somewhere and they say, oh, well, don't punch it into the GPS because the GPS is going to get it mixed up. Why don't you just follow me? Yeah. So some of you young ones are like, what? This happens? We always use the GPS. Young people, you ever had to follow someone before? Okay. Uh, Tangible, follow me. And so you get in your car and they get in their car and and there's a lot of traffic. There's a lot of congestion. There's a lot of noise. I actually just recently went camping with the Castanetas. And we're in our car. Pedro and Hosanna are are in their car. And he says, do you want me to follow you or follow me? And I was like, oh, it doesn't matter. And he goes, well, I think we should take this route. And he lists all these roads. And I'm like, I'll follow you. And uh, so I'm following him. And, and when you follow somebody like that, you're like following them. Do you know what I mean? And when they get in the other lane, you get in the other lane. When they get in this lane, you get in this lane. When they start to exit, you start to exit. And, and God forbid a semi get between me and Pedro. I can't, where is he, babe? Where did he go? Because I don't know all these roads he's talking about. I don't know when they're going to stop or if we got to stop. Like, and so, you know, you got to, you, you, you pray the semi away and you get over and you speed up and then you get behind Pedro. And sometimes Pedro, man, he knows how to lead. He just slows down to the person in the middle, wants to not be behind him anymore. That's when somebody knows how to lead right there. That's a whole other sermon. keeping my eyes on the car in front of me. I'm not going to let you go because I don't know where I'm going. I know that you know. You said to follow you. I'm going to follow you. You may actually not like how close I'm getting to you right now, but I am going to follow you. And that's a lot different than just following someone on Twitter with an occasional scroll. Many of us think following Jesus is just an occasional check-in, see what his status is, see what he's been up to lately, see a family photo they used a filter or not. But when Jesus said, follow me, he actually meant, get in your car, buckle up, I'm driving fast. There's going to be a lot of traffic, there's some road construction, there are even cars that are going to get between you and I, but you keep your eyes 
on me. Don't let anything come between us. You keep your eyes on me, and we're going to get there together. And that's like following the Holy Spirit. Are you keeping your eyes on the Holy Spirit? Are you keeping in tune with what he wants you to do? Yeah, feeding on the word, that doesn't change. The word does not change. But listen, there are daily instructions from Holy Spirit. What you should do today to relieve yourself from the bondage of self. What you should do today to serve other people. What you should do today to hear more from him. What you should do today to build your family, to build your marriage. Are you hearing from the Holy Spirit? And God forbid you let anything get between you and Holy Spirit. An offense where you can't see where he is. Don't let an offense with your husband come between you and following Holy Spirit. Don't let an offense with your child come between you and following Holy Spirit. God gave us a map with his word, but he gave us a guide in Holy Spirit. A believer can hear the word of the Lord. A disciple heeds the word of the Lord. Uh, Jesus says in John, actually, uh, if you obey my commandments, you are my disciples indeed. Did you know that's how Jesus defines friendship, obedience? And that's really foreign to us because we don't do that. We define friendship based on fellowship. Hear me, this is a critical distinction between humanity and kingdom. We think we're close with someone if we spend a lot of time together. If we call them if we're text, if we're hanging out, our, our closeness in relationship is built on fellowship. But not with Jesus. Jesus said discipleship isn't about learning the Bible. Jesus says it's about obeying. And if you obey his commandments, then you are known by him. Friendship is on obedience. And that's really foreign to us. Can you imagine if I went up to you and I, I said, hey, Paul, Man, you're my best friend. You obey everything I say. He'd be like, well, thanks. Yeah, all right, yeah. That's not how it works in America. We don't build friendship based on obedience. We build it on fellowship. But that's not how Jesus builds friendship. He builds it on obedience, heeding what we've heard. The more we heed what we've heard, the closer we get to Jesus. And unfortunately, we keep trying to get closer to Jesus through fellowship. And that's not the doorway to intimacy with him. Maybe if I just spend another hour in prayer, I'll be closer to Jesus. No, you won't. Maybe if I just spend another hour in worship, I'll get closer to Jesus. No, you won't. That's not how intimacy is built. In the kingdom, intimacy is always built through obedience. If you feel a disconnect with Jesus, if you feel a disconnect with Holy Spirit, rather than spend more fellowship with him, back up and ask yourself, what's the last thing he told me to do? Obedience to the Holy Spirit is the key to your next level. I'm running out of time. Can I have four minutes? We always try to add 
to our relationship with Jesus, with fellowship. But Jesus doesn't actually call us to sacrifice. He calls us to obedience. Abraham didn't sacrifice. He obeyed. Jesus didn't actually come to sacrifice. He came to obey. Now, when you obey, it leads you to sacrifice. But your focus isn't on sacrifice. Your focus is on obedience. Both Jesus and Adam heard the voice of the devil in the garden. Jesus didn't heed it, but Adam did. Both Jesus and Adam heard the voice of God in the wilderness and in the garden. One of them heeded it. One of them only heard it. Our goal is not just to hear from God. It is to heed what we hear. Point number three, and I'll wrap us, wrap us up today. A disciple forsakes that which hinders their follow. What, what does forsake mean? You know what forsake means? It's like get rid of, cuts it off, kicks, kicks it to the curb, forsakes it. A believer, when a believer finds something that hinders their follow, they adjust their life to accommodate all options. When a disciple uncovers something that hinders their follow, they forsake it and keep moving forward. They don't make accommodations for things that come between them and Jesus. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I want to go back to Mark 1 and read that one more time just for good measure, see what you pick up on this round. Mark 17, 18 says, Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Then Hebrews 12, one through two says, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Buddhism has crept into Christianity. And if we're not careful, we'll be, be more Buddhist than we are Christian. Buddhism is all about self-denial, discipline, self-discipline, self-control, setting parameters up for yourself. And, and listen, you, you got to do that. And, you know, I, I worked with someone this week regarding addiction. And we are setting up some parameters for their life. I'm not suggesting that you don't set up parameters for your life. That's, that's important. But Buddhism says you access, you access this higher level by the discipline that you put on yourself. But for Christianity, it's not about discipline. It's about devotion. 
that then leads us to discipline. Christianity is not about the cross. It's not, I know we're coming on Easter and that may be a shocker, but that's not what Christianity is about. It's not about the cross, it's about Christ. And through Christ, we're led to the cross. Christianity is not about forsaking. It's about following. But when you're following, following then decides what you need to forsake. Jesus doesn't say to his disciples, leave your boats, leave your nets, and follow me. All he says is follow me. The Bible says, and then they left their boats and left their net. When you follow Jesus, you're going to realize there are some things you can't carry. I, I can't, if I'm following him, I can't, I can't bring this net with me. I can't drag the boat all, all throughout the places that we're going to be going. Once you choose the follow, the follow chooses the forsake. Once you choose devotion, devotion gives birth to discipline. If you struggle with discipline this morning, with being disciplined, um, don't worry. You have to first be devoted. That's your focus. Please understand... uh, You're not Buddhist. You don't have to perform your way into heaven. You don't have to get everything right. You just have to get your eyes on Jesus. But understand that as you follow him, there will be things you're carrying that then seems to be uncomfortable. There will be lifestyles that Holy Spirit will ask you to step out of because it's not honoring him. There will be friendships that you might have to release and let go because it's it's not God's best for your life and you're not sent as a missionary to them they're sent as a terrorist to you are you devoted are you following i'm afraid that as believers sometimes we just think the head knowledge is enough yes it gets you into heaven Okay, God, let's get heaven into you. Will you stand with me today? If in your discipline, you've lost the burning passion for the Lord, I want to remind you in Revelation, Jesus is speaking to the church in Ephesus, and he says, I know your works, and they're good. The things you're doing are good, but I need, I need you to turn your face toward me. So I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you just to kind of set the good stuff aside, all the works that you've done, all of that, and just ask yourself one simple question of, Are you locking eyes with Jesus? Are you feasting on his word? Are you 
following Holy Spirit? And are you willing to forsake that which Holy Spirit tells you to forsake? Not what a denomination tells you to forsake. Not what a pastor tells you to forsake. What Holy Spirit tells you to forsake. Are you willing to walk away? Heavenly Father, we come before you today. God, I can only imagine that as you rode that colt into Jerusalem on this day, you looked out the sea of people shouting Hosanna, and you knew who your, your disciples were and who they weren't. You knew that these same people that were singing your praises were in a matter of days going to be shouting crucify him. God, let us be in the crowd. Let us be in the sea of people who move beyond believing and into the realm of being a disciple of Jesus. People that move and walk and live in the authority that you've called us to walk in. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can you give it up for Jesus this morning?